Hey, Sarah here. Summer is fast approaching, and here's what I propose. A relaxed and simple summer that offers just enough structure to keep those long, sticky days from melting into chaos, and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. Also, fairy tales. Lots of fairy tales. (laughs) I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. See you there. For me, the point of doing projects with my kids is not so I can take a good picture. The point for me (laughs) is the connection. (laughs) Yes, it's all about the connection. You know, if my kids are having fun, that's perfect. If I'm having fun connecting with them, even better. If it takes me hours to prepare for it and I have to be grumpy and ignore them the whole time, it's totally not worth it. You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that inspires you to build your family culture around books. Hello, Sarah McKenzie here for episode 50 of the Read Aloud Revival podcast. Boy, we have a great show for you today. I've been really excited to have this conversation with our guests about projects and play that can be sparked from books with the smallest people in our family. Before we get into today's show, I want to tell you about something fun we're doing on Instagram. Okay, so do you know Ruth Chow Simons? She's the really super brilliant, talented artist behind Grace Laced. Ruth is mama to six boys. She's a writer, an artist, and one of the most faith-filled women I have the privilege of knowing. When I get to chat with Ruth, I always feel filled up, overflowing with hope after we're done. And she doesn't just do that for me. She does it for tens of thousands of people on Instagram every day through her incredibly inspiring Grace Laced account there. Truly, Ruth's Instagram updates are some of my very favorites. I never skip reading them. So get this. On Instagram next week, we're going to be giving away a signed copy of Teaching from Rest, A Homeschooler's Guide to Unshakable Peace, which is, of course, my book, along with some selected prints of Ruth's, some prints that will help you live out your school year with your kids in a way that's rooted in him and the unshakable peace he promises us. If you haven't seen Ruth's artwork before, you're going to be floored. I cannot wait for this giveaway, so I had to mention it on the podcast today. Head to Instagram and follow both Ruth and I to make sure you don't miss out on it. Ruth is at Instagram.com slash Grace Laced. And I am Instagram.com slash Read Aloud Revival. That giveaway is happening on September 12th. We'll both be posting about it. I don't want you to miss out. Jennifer Pepito is one of those homeschool moms we all want to befriend because she's still in the trenches with her littles, but she's also got big kids who've graduated and 22 years of experience as a parent. Her perspective is priceless. A homeschool mom to seven kids, Jen is an author, a podcast host, and a speaker, and she blogs at Willow in Spring. We'll have links, of course, to where you can find her in the show notes. So head to readaloudrevival.com and look for episode 50 for those. 
She's part of the Wild and Free team and a speaker at their conferences. I love the Wild and Free conferences. And she's written a book called Bountiful Homeschooling on a Budget. And somewhere in the midst of all that, she's got a small family farm and is an avid gardener. If you peek at her beautiful Instagram feed, you'll quickly see that Jennifer's days with her children are filled with books and projects. And I'm so excited that she's joining us today to talk about just that. Easy projects and play that can be sparked from books. So please help me welcome Jen. Jen, welcome to the Read Aloud Revival. I'm so excited to get to talk to you. I so enjoyed hanging out with you at the Wild and Free Conference. And this is really precious to have another chance to visit. Oh, me too. I've been looking forward to this. So when we decided this would be a great episode, I thought, yes, I love talking to Jen. This is going to be fantastic. (laughs) So tell us a little bit more about your work and your family. So I have seven kids. I have a girl, girl, boy, 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 girl, boy. So it's a busy, busy house. And all of them live at home. My oldest daughter is an honors philosophy student at a local university. She's really committed to trying to graduate debt-free. So living at home is a good option for her. Fantastic. Yeah. And then I have another child with some learning disabilities. So she's working her way through college slowly. And another 18-year-old who just graduated and then four that I'm homeschooling still. Wow. So it's busy, busy, busy and fun. Yeah. You've got like the gamut. I love that because I love the perspective of parents who have seen kind of like the fruit of their labor (laughs) and then have younger kids where they go, okay, I'm either going to pivot or I'm going to do some of these things that I really knocked out of the park the first time or these other things that I totally messed up. I'm going to change. I just think that perspective is really unique and super valuable. And and it's been really helpful for me as a homeschooler to see how well my oldest daughter has done because she's a really motivated person. So it's not necessarily going to transfer to all my kids, but we were busy, you know, having babies. We lived internationally. We lived in Mexico for four years helping with an orphanage. So there was a lot of years where school was pretty bad. Like we didn't get a lot done, but we did emphasize reading all the time. There was lots and lots of books and kind of kept electronics to a minimum. So I think that her success in school and even her and my son's higher SAT scores had a lot to do with all the books they read. Oh, I love that. I love hearing that because that's one of the things I think that kind of plagues us. Those of us who haven't had any kids take SATs or go off to college, we think, are we sure we're doing enough? And we have to kind of take it on faith when we hear others say, you're doing enough. Books are the most important part, the most important piece of the puzzle. Absolutely. So have books and projects, have that has that always been a major part of your days with your kids? It really has. Like early on, I read the Charlotte Mason Companion. I read a few Charlotte Mason books. So I was interested in her philosophy, but I also had a friend in our community who did unit studies with her kids all the time. So I got that big Konos book. Yes. And, and we, you know, I can remember we were studying Orville and Wilbur Wright and we made a little airplane out of cardboard boxes you know, way back when we would read about the pilgrims and pretend that our rug was a ship and we just sit there (laughs) eating saltine crackers for a few hours and pretending we were in that situation. (laughs) So it's just kind of always been something I love being with my kids. And I'm, I'm not always that creative. So a lot of the projects are just that, like sitting on a rug eating saltines. But I just love anything that we can do together and that kind of sparks their own play is the kind of thing that we try to focus on. So that's interesting to me. What do your kids, your older kids, uh, what do they remember from those years? Do you know, I mean, when you chat about what school was like when they were younger, what are the kind of things they call to mind? You know, that's interesting. We haven't chatted about early schooling for a while, but I know that the books are probably what really stands out for them. You know, the projects were parts of co-ops or bits and pieces of our day. So I'm sure that if I asked them, you know, what projects you remember, we'd have a conversation about it. 
but it's not a conversation we've recently had. Yeah. Okay. So has your homeschooling philosophy changed over the years from those beginning days to now? You know, I think I just felt a lot less pressure. Like I think that I was trying earlier on to do the projects and the art and the narration on top of all the curriculum and the worksheets. And in the last few years, I've realized, you know, my older kids didn't necessarily do a lot of writing even. And they they kind of went through the curriculum haphazardly and they're still great writers. And so now I can enjoy the stuff like writing and projects and art and making sure that we still focus good on math. But I don't feel as just as scared about missing out on something or not doing something. So if I look at a grammar worksheet and it's all about nouns, we might talk about nouns and just skip that lesson, you know, skip the written part of the lesson, for instance. Okay. So we're a lot more freedom and the freedom just allows more time for the stuff that we love, which is reading and creating. I love this. This is why I love having friends who have kids that have graduated because they'll look at, you know, my plans and go, uh, Sarah, you don't need to do this and you don't need to do that. And, you know, <laughs> those things that I'm not really confident yet enough. Now, as my oldest get older, so my oldest is going to be a freshman this year, and we have this second batch of kids that are younger. I'm, I kind of feel the same way with, you know, those very early years in kindergarten, preschool and kindergarten. I felt a lot of pressure to make things really, how do I describe it? Like if we were going to read a picture book about penguins, I also had penguin posters on the walls and I wanted to do a penguin craft and I wanted all of these things to be really super coordinated. And I put a lot of pressure on myself to kind of coordinate their learning instead of just reading really good books to them and living a really rich life with them, which is what I have the confidence to do now that I've you know seen what really matters, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting too. One thing I really love about the Wild and Free message almost is just that there isn't necessarily a right way to homeschool. And, you know, if your family is led to really focus on Latin or classical studies, and that's awesome for you. But if your family is led to focus on music, then it's okay to not do that. You know, the world needs more, you know, a bigger variety of people and learners and creators. And we do that by kind of following interests rather than this absolutely prescribed course of study. Exactly. It's more about being authentic to who you are, that God's made you as a family rather than following any particular philosophy, right? That's what I believe. Okay. So what are some books that have stood out to you over the years as being especially memorable because of that play that you're talking about that books can spark? You know, there's a lot of chapter and picture books. I know one picture book that I love is A Time to Keep by Tasha Tudor. Oh, yes. I love that. It's a gorgeous book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And there's a mother who like could put us all to shame <laughs> with her creativity. Yeah. But but even just a few of the small projects, like we read A Time to Keep and we put on a little doll fair. It was somebody's birthday. And so we put on a doll fair. People could bring a beanie baby or whatever. And we had like some little mini carnival games that you had to pay a penny to play. <laughs> and there was some little snacks. So everything was kind of miniaturized. But it really, it wasn't Pinterest worthy. It was just just so fun and creative. And that's definitely a memory that stands out for all of us. And that was sparked from the book, A Time to Keep. And then of course, the Little House on the Prairie books are just full of ideas, you know, buying a little bonnet and blowing up a balloon and pretending it's a pig bladder. You know, <laughs> there are some interesting things that they did in those books, but it can definitely spark a ton of fun projects.
Yeah, one of the things you just mentioned that I think is so important to remember is we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves to make things quote unquote, Pinterest worthy or Instagram worthy, or we see other people's pictures and think, well, if I'm going to do this right, it has to be gorgeous. But some of the best experiences we've had that have been sparked from books, as far as just the play that it's inspired or the family memories we've made have totally been super simple and casual. So I'm remembering that when we read On to Oregon, oh gosh, years and years ago, it's a book about these kids who are traveling the Oregon Trail. It's actually based on a true story about kids who are traveling the Oregon Trail without their parents because their parents passed away early on. And after that, my kids would turn the chairs upside down and that would be their wagon. And they would play for such a long time, pretending like they were in the wagon train, basically. So it wasn't definitely was not Pinterest worthy. Definitely was nothing that I coordinated or created for them. It was just like that story sparked something that was they were able to live out, which was really fun. Yeah. And, you know, the really for me, the point of doing projects with my kids is not so I can take a good picture. The point for me <laughs> is the connection. Yes, it's all about the connection. You know, so I don't you know, if my kids are having fun, that's perfect. If I'm having fun connecting with them, even better. If it takes me hours to prepare for it and I have to be grumpy and ignore them the whole time, it's totally not worth it. So for me, the projects are really all about connecting with my kids and developing memories in them and then even giving them the ability. You know, I feel like there's going to be from all these kids who are being homeschooled or being read to often, there's going to be just an explosion of creativity because they have all these stories going in. And so I feel like we can start to influence media and art and music because there's these people who've had all this great, lovely input. And eventually there's going to be some output from it. There's going to be movies and books and music. And I think that we're already seeing that even my actually my 15 year old just wrote his first young adult fiction. It's called The Fire Trolls. And that's, you know, really that story came out of all the stories that he had read. Right. It's exactly like the very first podcast we ever did at the Read Letter Revival was with Andrew Pudua. And he was talking about how we can't expect great things to come out of our kids if they haven't had a lot of rich and wonderful language and stories put into them. Basically, they need to internalize it first before that they can be creative. It's that whole idea of needing to imitate greatness, right? Like we need to imitate great writers and imitate great artists before we can really have our own legs and be super creative on our own. Absolutely. That's really great. I love how you say too, that the point of the project is to connect with your kids. Tell me more about that. I feel like connecting with our kids is probably the best antidote to any of the social ills that people struggle with. I read the book, Hold On to Your Kids a year or two ago, and it really just was so impactful for me to realize that even in my seven kids are all birth kids, but even in birth kids, there can be attachment issues. And when kids aren't well attached to their parents, they're not as interested in carrying on the values of their family. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what projects do is it gives us a starting point for connection, something that we're doing together. And and really, there's a lot of stuff that we do together. We do gardening together and we read together. That's not necessarily a project, but anything that we can do as a family where me and the kids are creating happy memories together means that later on when it's time to choose which peers they want to connect to, they're going to be well bonded with us and our values. And it's going to be easier for them to reject values that aren't necessarily the ones that fit with our family. Exactly. Okay. So you have a post on your blog where you talk about your son learning to read and making it active. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yes, absolutely. I've had some readers who are very reluctant and some who are just easy as can be. So my 
first child, an easy reader, you know, reading chapter books when she was seven or whatever. The next daughter really struggled. So we ended up, you know, researching all kinds of different methods for helping her to read because her auditory processing was so bad that she really couldn't do phonics and we had to do more sight words. And that kind of led me into even researching Montessori because Montessori does a lot of hands-on work for learning to read, a lot of like writing in salt and matching objects to words. So we've incorporated a lot of that with subsequent kids, especially my boys, because my boys don't love to sit for a long time. <laughs> and, and my youngest, you know, he's seven. I've been more laid back with him for a lot of reasons. So for him, reading practice is a lot more fun if I'm flashing a word and letting him hop forward for every word that he gets. Or if we're doing an object match where I collect all the Playmobil animals from around the house and we match up the word with the animal or for an earlier reader, matching up a phonogram with an object. Mm -hmm. So any kind of opportunity where you can get them moving a little bit. I don't know how many five, six, seven-year-olds really are geared towards sitting for hours at a time. Even some curriculum is a little bit better for an active kid like Explode the Code. There's not a lot of instructions on the page. Yeah. So it's a really a great one for a boy to get some phonics practice when you're too busy to play an active game with oh, them. I so agree. That yeah. happens. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> what about co-ops? I know you've talked a bit about incorporating play and book-based projects into co-ops. Can you share some ideas or some thoughts on that? Yes. I think co-ops are so essential, especially if you're homeschooling. There's a lot that our kids do need from other people. And for me, I am not... I'm actually not that creative of a person. And so what co-ops do is they help me be accountable for doing book reports with my kids. They help me be accountable for some of those science experiments that I might naturally veer away from. <laughs> yeah, like anything so, messy. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> messy or that requires reading instructions <laughs> or that requires blowing up my house. So, yeah. so yes. So the way I've done co-ops is I've just chosen like a few friends that my kids click with. And then we set up a schedule for the year and we choose some kind of a spine. So last year we did ancient history. And for our family, we mostly just read really good literature geared around ancient history. But then every other week we would get together with some other families and the kids got to do oral reports. And we did some awesome little projects. We had a really good Greek feast while the moms sipped a little authentic beverages from the period. And I like the sound of this. <laughs> yes. uh, we made a shadaf, which is like this Egyptian contraption that they use for irrigation. So we did some fabulous projects, but it wasn't hard and it was only every couple of weeks and our kids got some time to play with friends. So, you know, I don't think co-ops are hard to start. I don't think they have to cost a lot. I really believe that every family could find a few friends who wanted to learn with them it just takes a little bit of organization ahead of time to decide what you're going to learn, when you're going to meet, and who's going to be in charge of what areas of study. It really makes those time periods or those science studies so much more memorable when they get to do a project around it. Yeah, I agree. And I need the accountability sometimes because I kind of default to that, oh, that sounds like it would take too much work, even if it's not that big of a project or an activity that my kids would really enjoy. But if we're doing it with friends, there's something about that accountability that makes it easier and just gets me going to do it. I'm thinking in particular, we did a dear day, a drop everything and read day to celebrate Beverly Cleary's birthday on April 12th. And just knowing that we were having friends over that day we didn't have to do anything spectacular. We didn't do a lot of planning. In fact, we pulled most of it together the morning of the event. <laughs> but just knowing they were coming made us actually 
do something that my kids will remember. We actually made memories together instead of me just feeling like, oh, you know, what, I'm behind on laundry and I still haven't figured out what we're doing for dinner and forget it. We're just not going to pull that off today after all. Yeah, I, I think that's a big part of the co-ops, especially in the earlier years when my kids were younger. It's getting easier now for me to, you know, do exciting things with just my kids without that accountability. But when there were babies around, it would have been easier just to forget about projects altogether. But because I had a co-op and we were all going to pretend we were Native Americans and grind acorns and start a campfire together, there was a motivation to make sure we did some studies around it so we knew what we were talking about. So that's another part of co-ops for me is that it keeps me accountable to read the material in between. Because, you know, if I know that we're doing our science experiments or our Native American studies, whatever it is, I'll make sure we get the reading in so that my kids know what we're doing the projects about anyhow. Right, right. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer and here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We want to take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? <laughs> fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also going to share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy top thing you can do to make sure your kids make delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, there's a replay, so make sure you register even if you can't join us live on May 7th. Again, text the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. Let's talk specifically about preschoolers and and ways to kind of extend picture books. One of the questions we get a lot at the Read Loud Revival is, so I read to my preschool kids and we love reading. And is that enough? Or what do I do after? Or is there, how do I know what to do next with the book? So well, how would you answer that question? Oh, that's such a fun question for me right now. I'm actually writing a course right now that's basically a 26-week course for the 26 letters of the alphabet. And each week has several books based on the letter along with projects. So for instance, for the letter A, one of the books we're reading is How to Make an Apple Pie and See the World. Oh, I love that book. It is absolutely one of my very favorites. Absolutely. And that book is full of good project ideas. Like, okay, so they visit all these countries. So even just pointing out all the countries on a map, or of course they make an apple pie. So giving your child a little experience safely with a peeler helping them learn how to peel, you know, a carrot is probably an easier starting point. Mm -hmm. Giving them the opportunity to smell different spices because collecting the spices is a big part of the book. Yeah. Or, you know, talking about animals and the different products that come from them. There's, they go and collect a cow and a, I think they collect the whole chicken actually. You know, so there's so many. And, and what I often do is when I'm reading a picture book, I'm kind of like 
logging in my mind a few ideas or I'll even go through the picture book afterwards and jot down a few ideas. So it may not happen naturally where I read the book and then we just jump right into the projects. I might need a little bit of time to brainstorm, but I think so many projects or so many picture books just are great sparks for projects. Another one is a tree is nice. So, you know, reading the book, a tree is nice. And then going out and collecting leaves and trying to identify what kind of tree they came from or making a leaf rubbing or using a book like Look What I Made with a Leaf and making a collage out of leaves. So there's just so many picture books are always imagination sparkers. So, you know, pulling them off your shelf and maybe just glancing through before you read even and jotting down ideas. any places in particular you go to get ideas or do you just actually look through the picture book and then brainstorm from there? You know, I actually like maybe every once in a while I would check Pinterest, but I don't often have time to get on and look at that. So really it's more often just reading the book. Another one is stone soup. Like we read stone soup and so we I'm lazy. I don't want to make dinner that night. So I throw <laughs> soup bones in the crock pot and tell all the kids to go gather, you know, stuff and chop it up and put it in. So You know, I think that I am a pretty busy mom with all my kids and all the yard work and all this this stuff going on. So I'm not so good at researching on Pinterest ahead of time and making up projects, but I think that's a good idea if you have the time. But I think books themselves, when you read, if you kind of have an eye towards what's happening and what could be sparked from it, I think that the projects are just waiting to be discovered. I love that because so often I think we get tied up in the planning. Like, well, I can't do projects on how to make an apple pie and see the world because when I went on Pinterest and I saw what other people were doing, now I have to make this long shopping list because I don't have all the materials I needed for that particular project. Or, But if I just read the book with my kids and I saw spices, oh, you know what? Let's just go see what spices we have in our kitchen and we'll just smell them all and talk about them. And maybe we'll make applesauce and put which spice do you think smells like it would taste the best in here. Things like that. Just that are totally, you're just reading the book. You know your home. You know the supplies you have at home. You know what your kids are able to do. So instead of getting lost in this big Pinterest goose chase, which is enough to make me just stressed anyway, and also can just add more to your list if you're feeling like, and now I have to go shopping to get the supplies for this big project. I guess what I the question I have for you is if parents are a little overwhelmed with the idea of adding projects to their life, especially with little children, how would you suggest they get started? Wow. You know, I think that really observing our kids a little bit and seeing what they're already doing is a good place to start with ideas. And for sure, there are books out there like, you know, that big Konos book or the Peaceful Preschool curriculum that I'm writing or the five in a row books are are another set of books that have great ideas based on picture books. So, you know, going on Pinterest or reading a book. But the problem is sometimes we as moms get so busy with the planning and the researching that a lot of that time that we could be connecting is lost. And your kids are really better off, you know, having you look them in the face and chat with them about what they're doing. Or if you see them playing with water, you know, getting out a a pot and a couple of measuring cups and play with water with them, they're better off having you than all the fancy ideas. So, you know, I don't want to discourage people from finding project ideas, but I think that it's something that can be done, you know, in an hour in the evening when they're all asleep and you just make a whole big list of stuff. But really, like I said earlier, projects are just all about connection. And so if you're if you're having to spend 
all day long looking at Pinterest and then making supply lists and shopping for everything, then you've lost a whole day of connection. And what that means is that your child has lost the opportunity to know that they're valuable and precious to you because instead of looking at them and enjoying them, you're enjoying your screen. Exactly. So it's basically like, what's the simplest and almost the simplest and quickest way you can make a meaningful connection with your kids over this book rather than what's the most fantastic project we could possibly do about this book? Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. So projects then don't have to be big or grand to count, right? They Do you have some memories you can share about smaller projects you've done with your kids? You know, we were out one day on our property cutting down trees. It had to be done there. It's an invasive tree. And so we had all these big logs and my husband brainstormed and started stacking the logs around a tree and made a teepee. Oh, fun. So it was actually completely a part of what we were doing anyhow. And because my husband and I read a lot of books, we also have great ideas in our heads. <laughs> you know, another one, we swim in our swimming pool and we will pretend that we're explorers in the endurance. We'll, you know, we'll get in a little plastic raft or something and somebody will come along and pretend they're a, a polar bear trying to knock everybody out. So really, because we read and we have stories in our heads, I think the projects are fairly natural outflow. It's and, and definitely they aren't deal. It's more just like, oh, hey, I read Little House on the Prairie or Little House in the Big Woods and they were making maple candy. So let's stop by a store and buy some maple candy and get, a, you know, pretend that we're that we made it from scratch or, you know, they made butter. So let's throw some cream and some marbles in a glass jar and shake it up really good and make some butter. So it's definitely not a lot of planning going into this, but it is just being aware, having a mind that's looking for opportunities to interact with your kids and to create special memories with them. And because we do projects with them, I see them doing so many more projects on their own. Yesterday, I came home and my kids had built this giant beanie baby colony you know, just like stacked up all the benches and there was, you know, a place for the undersea creatures and they were all there. And I think kids are naturally so creative that they're not necessarily going to need a lot of help figuring out their own imaginative games. So, you know, even if you just have to start somewhere, just start reading picture books to your kids, just turn off the, the TV or the devices and start reading picture books. And I think that as you get a mind that's more geared towards absorbing quality literature and then having some output based on that, it's going to be an easy, it'll start to flow when you create that time. But when we're always just kind of zoning out, then there really is no time to brainstorm for something fun or interact with our kids in that way. Right. And it doesn't even take that much time. It's just that if we're not paying attention, we miss. I'm thinking of Donald Cruz, his book, Freight Train. And my boys love books about trains. And all I have to do really is take the dining room chairs and put them in a line in the middle of the living room and say, all aboard. And I mean, they're on it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. And they, and from that point, they can get some toy animals or whatever to go on the train with them, or they can pretend that they're, you know, heading on a train trip to South America, whatever it might be. So it's not, you know, a big part of the projects is also just sparking imagination in our kids. And I've talked to a movie producer and asking her and also a video game developer, asking both of them what the best component of being successful in those fields were. And in both cases, it was story. And so, you know, as we give our kids story and then also give them some opportunities to act out story, then they are developing the skills that they need someday to be these media influencers or great writers or whatever. You know, eventually the goal for all this input is some kind of creative output. And we're doing that in small bits when they're small children by, you know, reading the books and sparking a little project and then they can take it from there. But, you know, like I said earlier, 
when our time is all taken up with researching the projects or buying elaborate materials for the projects, it means that we're not connecting. Exactly. I just, as you were talking, the one of the things that just flew into my mind was the picture in Little Women of the girls who are acting out stories. That was what they did for fun. You know, it's not, I mean, talk about the opposite of like going on Pinterest <laughs> and researching some elaborate project. They were actually the stories that Joe herself wrote, of course. They were acting them out and that was their play. And so if we give our kids the time and space, and then you made another point that I think is really important. It's not just giving our kids time and space, but it's also turning off the devices and the screens. Maybe not 100%. We don't need to be like complete Luddites or go completely extreme, but limiting their time in front of the screen in order that they have more opportunity to engage with books and play that's based on those books. Absolutely. I think you're the first person I've ever actually heard besides myself to use the word Luddite, (laughs) (laughs) which means we're both well read, right? That's Um, too funny. Yes. So absolutely. That's it. It's not like it's like the TV and the computer has to be off forever, but it's just being aware that they're not going to create anything if they don't have a little bit of empty space. And the books are the books are there in part to generate noble and lovely and exciting and interesting ideas about life and humanity and about what can be done. So I, there's so much good that can come from just a little bit of uh, free time, really. And that's not free time where they can do anything they want, but free time where it's, you know, it's books or play, but it's not a screen because really screens are just so absorbing. It's hard to step off yourself. It's even hard for some of us as adults to step off ourselves and go do something else. I was just rereading Jim Trelease's The Read Aloud Handbook. And in that, his latest version, he talks about how it is impossible for a parent, even adult, not just a parent, but an adult, if there's like a car chase scene. Oh, I mean, you know what? Maybe it wasn't in that book. Maybe it was in another book I'm reading. Anyway, basically, like if there's a car chase scene happening on a screen and you're reading a really engaging book, it is literally impossible to keep your eyes on the book because the screen is so overwhelming. It overwhelms your senses that you almost can't will yourself to pay attention to the book, even if that's what you want to do. And those are grown ups, you know. And so thinking about how much more powerful that is for our kids. Yeah, and it, absolutely. And it takes some effort. You know, it takes some effort from us as parents to not just take the easy route because it is really easy when our kids are totally engaged in a video game or a device or whatever to let it be. But the problem is our attention span that makes it possible for us to read the greater books of literature or absorb the vocabulary that is really needed to do well on an SAT score and then get some scholarship money or get accepted to the school you want. That comes from reading the great books. And so it's really important that we you know, make time in our kids' lives and keep the devices off enough that they can develop that attention span they need to be readers. Yeah. And, you know, I've noticed lately that it's only easier for me for a very short period of time. So it's easier for me to put my little kids in front of a TV show so I can make dinner in peace. But I can guarantee every time I do it that they will be more unruly during dinner if they've just finished watching a show (laughs) than they would be otherwise. So I feel like it's a trade off. It's kind of easier for a very short time. And then we pay for it afterwards because coming out of watching the screen can be kind of a painful thing. (laughs) Right. Except, you know, the one exception I would say about the TV shows for little kids are those scholastic shows. Have you ever seen those? Are they like books read? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. 
Yeah. So something, you know, something like that where it's a little bit quieter and it actually is a picture book that is being read for them. For your children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, you know, that might be a good way because I know those early years when you're trying to make dinner is just like, it's really hard to uh, do anything but somehow (laughs) hypnotize your children so you can cook the dinner. Yeah. But yeah, some, you know, quieter. We tried like also the, signing time videos. Yes, we love those or like too. nature, mm-hmm. you know, nature videos. Although sometimes nature videos, they try to make them so dramatic that they're like as <laughs> scary intense. as a Marvel movie or something. I yes. know. Um, one of the, some of the other really slow kind of quieter shows are like the Little Bear series because they move oh. at a much slower pace than say Sesame Street. And so they don't require your, they don't, I don't know. It's easier on your child's senses, I think. Yes. And I think that is important just to be aware that, okay, if you're going to give your child screen time, there are better and worse things that they can be involved in that are going to help them be more calm. Yeah, exactly. So in episode 43, I talked to Dr. Daniel Willingham and he wrote this book called Raising Kids Who Read, which is a fantastic book. One of the things he made a comment about in that podcast and in his book, is that devices and screens aren't necessarily something that we need to abolish, but you do need to give your kids periods of time where they're not an option. Because even if your child's an avid reader, it's hard to work up the will to read a book when there's another easier option. And he made the metaphor, he described it with this metaphor of, you know, his children love watermelon. And if he offers his kids watermelon for a dessert, they'll be pretty happy. But if he says you can have watermelon or candy, his kids are probably going to choose candy. (laughs) And it could, because it's just a little bit, it overwhelms your senses a little bit more. It's a, so with your screens, one of the things I've been trying to remember with my own kids is that if there's at least a period of time every day where screens are absolutely not an option, we're just making it easier for them to choose books or to choose play. Of course, we'll be sparked by the books they've been reading or that we've been sharing with them. And so I like that approach because it feels a lot more doable for me as a parent than just saying, you know, we're not going to do any screens at all because they're ruining you. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Having some kind of balance where even as the adults that we say, okay, here's our screen free time so that we can read a book or, you know, plugging your phone in away from your bed so that because even as adults, it's easy to be just sucked into what's on Facebook, even though none of it is interesting exactly. instead of reading a book, because it just takes a little more effort to pay your attention to a book. Yeah, especially to get started just to get, you know, yeah. Yep. So what else? Is there anything else that you'd like us to know or could encourage parents who would like to see their kids play more based on the books that they've been read? You know, I think being willing to let them make a mess is really important. If your goal is all about having your perfectly organized space, then it's going to be harder for them to have their fun. And so even like the book, Little Men, I love that book for the little scene where Daisy gets a toy kitchen and it's not even a toy. It's a real working kitchen where she's cooking pancakes and steaks of all things for the, <laughs> yeah. for the, her friends. So, you know, we have like a little porch that is the kids play area. They can make mud pies all they want back there. You know, having areas in your yard that are set aside for your kids to make messes, letting them build a tent for it if they need to, to act something out. So, you know, not, you don't have to manage every project, but letting them have a little space to make a mess if needed for their project is important, even though it's painful sometimes. So good though. So good to remember. And it's, it goes back to that main goal, which you said was to connect with our kids. So if that's the goal and to give them a space to be creative, you know, nobody ever became a creative genius without making a lot of messes along the way. It's true. Absolutely. So what's the best place for people to go to get more from you to find out about your peaceful preschool ideas and to just connect with you? Yeah. So we have a website. It's the peacefulpreschool.com. And the course will be available there. And the Peaceful Preschool course is a lot about 
setting up a learning environment so that you don't have to do everything with your kids. You know, we want to connect with our children, but I can't with this many children or with other things going on in my life, I can't do every single learning activity with them. So it's really important to me to try and set up our home where it's a rich learning environment, where there's lots of books to choose from and opportunities for science experiments and creativity. So the Peaceful Preschool course, you can find out about it through thepeacefulpreschool.com. And then my Jennifer Papito Instagram is a great place to connect with me. It's really easy. I love Instagram. It's easy to post on there and, you know, kind of encourage people with what's happening in my life without being super worried. Like I would like to be a more consistent blogger, but boy, that is not as easy (laughs) as an Instagram post. (laughs) And I also really like connecting with my kids and making jam and growing zucchinis and peaches that are overwhelming me right now. So um, something, something's got to give and it's not going to be my kids. Absolutely. Love that. So good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been really encouraging and inspiring for me. And we'll make sure we have links to all of Jennifer's best resources, her Instagram account, thepeacefulpreschool.com, all that good stuff in the show notes. So head to readaloudrevival.com, click on episode 50, and you'll be good to go. Thank you, Sarah. I've so enjoyed it. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. Hello, my name is Brooke. I am six years old, and I live in North Carolina. I love the book The Velveteen Rabbit. The Velveteen Rabbit is a stuffed animal who is so loved by the boy who becomes real. I have a bunny too that used to be pink, but now gray. He is still my favorite one, and I sleep with him every night. My favorite part of the story is when the fairy saves the bunny, and the bunny becomes alive. Hello, my name is Lamp. I'm eight years old. I'm from North Carolina. One of my favorite books is The Year of the Bull and Jackie Robinson by Betty Lord. I like it because it shows you what it feels like to be a foreigner in a different country. The main character comes from China and she has a hard time trying to fit in. My favorite part is when she is playing baseball and her teammates tell her to run home. Instead of running to home base, she thinks she is supposed to run home to her apartment. The author uses a lot of humor in a story like this. Hi, my name is Reese. And I'm four. I live in Maryland. Book is about the page and ride the bus. Because it makes me laugh. Get to say no. I'm named Anthony Flay. And what's your favorite book? Richard Kelly. Because it's Pig Panther. Hi, my name is Kate, and I am seven years old. I live in Peebly, Missouri. And my favorite book is Magic Tree House. Book 23, Twister on Tuesday. I like it because Jack and Annie help save their friends to get to the cellar. Hi, my name is Rex, and I'm four years old, and I'm from Colorado. My favorite books are the Ramona books, because she has a baby sister, and that's because I have a baby in my family. Hi, my name is Reagan, and I'm five years old. And I like Fancy Nancy, the fanciest doll in the universe, because I like it because it makes me happy. 
Where do you live, Reagan? Texas. My name's Felicity. I'm 12 years old. I'm from Houston, Texas, and I really like Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis. I really like Psyche. She's a really good character, and she's a very good example of humility and love, and I really like it. My name is Joe. I'm four years old. My favorite book is St. George and the Dragon. What do you like about St. George and the Dragon? I like the part when gets killed. When the dragon gets killed? Yes. Hi, my name is Therafina. I'm six years old, and I live in Houston, Texas. My favorite book is Munja 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 because the bunnies always steal the gardeners. Hi, my name is Colette. I'm eight years old. I live in Houston, Texas, and my favorite book is The Green Ember because there's a lot of adventures. Wonderful. Thank you for your messages, kids. Those are my favorite. If your family hasn't left a message yet, be sure to do that. We air every message in the order that we receive it. And remember that you can have your child repeat after you or read off a page or do anything else that will help them. We edit and clean up those messages before they go on air. So definitely don't feel like the message has to be short up and perfect, you know, to send it. It's so much fun hearing about what our young revivalers all over the world are reading. And I want to hear from your young revivalers. So you can do that at readaloudrevival.com. Scroll to the bottom of the page there and you'll find out how to leave a message. Okay, if you have not yet gotten the Read Aloud Revival book list, you should do that. It's free and we worked really hard to carefully curate what we think are the very best books for you to share with your kids. You can get it for free at rarbooklist.com. And then remember that the show notes for today's episode, all the links Jennifer and I talked about, books we talked about, those are all in the show notes. You can go to readaloudrevival.com, look for episode 50, and you're good to go. Thank you so much for joining us. It is truly an honor to chat about books with your families. Until next time, go build your family culture around books. Books.